Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our podcast about earning a living independently doing something you love. And today we have a special type of episode for you. This is Office Hours featuring live questions from Fizzle members who are attending with us. And we also have a special guest today who I'll get to in just one moment. But also I want to say hello to Jen Rayow from The Fizzle team. Hey, Jen. Hey, Corbett. How's it going? Great. Happy you're here today, uh, all the way from India, which is pretty cool. Maybe we can talk about that in a little bit. And also our special guest today is Fizzle member and uh, successful business owner, which we're going to get to in just a second, Sue McLeod from SueMcLeodCeramics.com. Hi, Sue. How are you? I'm really good. So glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. We wanted to have you on um, because you have had some success with some uh, launches of products recently, but also I wanted to chat with you because you have a really interesting business. A lot of people um, ask, how can I become a successful artist? And I think you have found a very interesting way of doing that. Um, I know the art space fairly well because my wife, Jesslyn, is a uh, professional painter. She has been doing that for quite some time. And um, she tends to just make work in her studio and, and you know, look for places to show that work. You have done that and more. So tell us about your ceramics background and um, a little bit about what you do. Okay, well... I got started in ceramics um, in 2008, and I went to art school in Nelson, British Columbia, uh, where I did a two-year diploma program in clay. Um, and so that's where I first learned how to work with clay. Um, and But in our second year of school, we started learning how to mix our own glazes. And so the glazes are, um, it's like a thin layer of glass that gets put on the clay um, that melts in the kiln. And when I started learning about glazes, I got really excited about the chemistry um, because I've never, I've never really considered myself an artist. Um, and I was really good at math and science in high school. And so it really took me back to my chemistry classes where, um, where like that was kind of the direction that I thought I was going to go after high school. Um, but then I ended up kind of getting sidetracked and doing a lot of travel in the Kootenays and ended up in art school. Wait, hold on. Where, where are the Kootenays? I need to ask. <laughs> yeah, the Kootenays are in central British Columbia okay. in Canada. Cool. Yes. And um, did I'm curious, did you did you go to art school with any particular intention? No, not really. Um, I was just kind of in a point in my life where I didn't I, I wanted to like try try new things. And um, the reason I ended up in clay was because I went to a dinner party and all of the food and drinks were served on these handmade dishes. And I thought it was really cool. And um, it just seemed like. Um, a craft that I could get on board with I because I wasn't really good at drawing or painting but I was I loved working with my hands and so um, that piqued my interest and so I ended up just uh, going into signing up for this school um, and doing this two-year program kind of out of the blue just to try something. And so you wrapped up that program in around 2010 or so? Yeah 2010. 
Okay, cool. And then um, what? fill us in on what happened between when you graduated and when you started uh, your online business. Yeah, so then um, I moved back to my hometown of Victoria, British Columbia, and I opened my own pottery studio out of my home. And so I was making and selling my pottery for a few years, uh, going to markets, um, and kind of really struggling to make a living as an artist. Mm-hmm. I was, um, you know, the typical starving artist. Um, and not really enjoying myself at all. So I really enjoyed the making of the art, but I didn't really enjoy the selling. That wasn't my strong point. Um, And it was just, it felt like a lot of work and um, not very much reward. Yeah. And it can be sort of demoralizing to go to these fairs and, and show your work and feel like People are judging you as they walk by and never buying anything. And yeah, and having to show up. And, and I'm sure you had experiences where you didn't make a single sale, but you did all this work to set up and, and drive there and everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that was exactly my experience. Um, yeah, so I, I started thinking of different ways that I could um, turn my, my passion into a business. Um, And so what happened was um, I, in 2014, I did every market that I could find. And um, I was, because I thought that, I just thought that that was the path that I was supposed to be on leaving art school, that you're supposed to leave school and then make it as an, as an artist selling your pots. And because it wasn't really working out for me, I decided at the end of 2014, after um, burning myself out, I decided I wasn't going to do an, a single market in 2015, and I was just going to see what would happen. With all this extra time on your hands, just sort of see what you could do with that year. Yeah, like just like create some space in my mind so that I could maybe come up with a different strategy do, for making this a part of my life. And do you have a sense in 2014 how many hours you were spending on attending markets and, and just doing things, you know, to actually sell the work? Um, I had a job two days a week um, and then pretty much five days a week. That's what I was doing. Wow. Day and night. And and were, you had to drive quite a bit then, I assume, uh, around to different places where there were markets? Yeah, I traveled a little bit, um, okay. like just around up, up island. So, you know, I do some shows a few hours away. Um, I did like a weekly Saturday market across town. And so um, I went to Vancouver, the lower mainland, did markets there. So a little traveling and pottery is not fun to travel with because it's breakable and yes. <laughs> takes up a lot of space. So And it's heavy. Yes. Yeah. And Victoria you were taking it on the ferry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Victoria is um, uh, a tourist town. There are a lot of people visiting there. So it it, it it's the kind of place where you'd think um, you could sell art at markets. Yes. And there there's a lot of artists here as well. So that's true. There's competition, but um, yeah, it's just, you, it's kind of, you have to play the long game, really. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, did you, um, have you kept touch with people from your art school? And are you aware of anyone who is doing really well um, just selling their own art? Um, so my art school had a clay program, a jewelry program, 
uh, a fiber and a metal working program. Um, and so I'm in touch with a few people. Uh, I know a couple of the jewelers are still doing their craft um, like full time as a business. Um, but the the potters that I went to, there were only five in my class um, in my year. And um, I don't think any of them are still uh, like working, uh, making and selling pots. They might do it occasionally, but not as a full-time thing. Okay. So in 2015, uh, you, you had this blank slate and, and you're thinking like, okay, how am I going to make this work? What, mm-hmm. what did you try that year? Well, what happened was I ended up applying for a full-time job in a pottery studio um, as a ceramic studio technician. Mm. And so I ended up getting hired and completely changed my plan. So now, so I went into, I went from like, yeah, being an entrepreneur to having this full-time job with a paycheck that I, I loved. It was it like it took the pressure off that I could just go to work every day. Um, I was still working in a pottery studio and my job consists of like, I do all the behind the scenes stuff in the studio. So I'm firing the kilns, mixing the glazes and making sure the studio's stocked with supplies, all the equipment's working. Um, and uh, that's really where I found like, it really, really rekindled my passion for what I was doing. And was this uh, studio a place that manufactured things to sell or was it for artists and hobbyists to use? Yeah, it's a community. It's at a rec center, community okay. rec center. Yeah, so we teach classes and then they uh, um, have an open studio drop-in program. Awesome. And uh, probably like access to really good equipments and and glazes and everything that you got to roll up your sleeves and and yeah. get get close to. Yep. Awesome. I love that. I saw your your face light up when you when you talked about that. It was I could feel the heaviness of just the slogging it out and trying to make it on your own, and then finally connecting with this thing that people actually wanted, and uh, you felt useful again. It sounds like absolutely, yeah. That's totally how I felt, and like, uh, you know, I never. I think I said before that I never really considered myself an artist, um, and I leaned more towards the sciences in school. And so um, now that I'm doing less with the art side of things and more with the technical Mm -hmm. side of things, um, that's where I feel the most comfortable. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so then take us through how you got started online. So then. what I did was I signed up for, so glazes are, glazes are really complicated and um, they take a lifetime to really understand. And they're also the biggest um, challenge that potters have. And so for myself as an artist, um, I was working with these glazes that never worked the way that I wanted them to. Um, and I just didn't know how to solve my own pro- problems. and then I saw that there was this online class through Alfred University that was about the chemistry of glazes. So I signed up for this class. And in that class, I learned all about kind of how to solve all these problems that I was having. And I also saw 
the value of an online course because I was feeling like, oh, I'd really love to go back to school, maybe get my master's degree. Um, but all I really wanted to focus on was the glazes and there's nothing where I live to do that. And so I would have had to move to another city if I wanted to take my education any further. And then all of a sudden there, this university was offering these courses online and it was amazing and it completely changed my life. And um, as soon as I took this first class, I was like, I would love to do something like this and create an online course teaching what I love and what I am really passionate about. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing. And, and so you, you took this, these courses, um, you were working with glazes yourself in person. Um, and I assume you learned a bunch through this course and, and it transformed your ability to get the results that you were looking for from, from the glazes, which in glazes for people who aren't familiar are, must be a combination of um, chemicals and mediums and pigments. Yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, I've seen some amazing ceramics that have these like cool bubbly effects. And I imagine that that's all pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Like it, it's you to make a glaze, you're just following a recipe, but it's understanding, um, the materials that are in the recipe and how to manipulate them to, and change them so that they're working the way that, that you're imagining them to. Because we all have this vision in our minds of something that we want to make. And then when it gets to um, putting the colors and the textures on the surfaces, then it's kind of like we're really limited to what's available unless we know how to manipulate those ourselves. My, my, as I mentioned, my wife, Jesslyn, is a painter. And um, she does these interesting techniques that involve a lot of pouring and mixing paints. And um, she had an opportunity to go to a residency in New York uh, at Golden, where they actually manufacture golden paints. This is one of the biggest lines of acrylic paints. And they actually have engineers there, people, it sounds like, who do sort of what you've learned how to do. Um, but they're making different mediums and things for artists. And while she was there, she had unlimited access to all the different paints and access to the engineers to show her how these different mediums worked and so on. And so that really advanced her knowledge of um, how to manipulate these paints, how to mix them together and so on. She, for the longest time, always had these things she called happy accidents, you know, because there's always a little bit of unpredictability with those paints. And I imagine it's similar with glazes, um, but over time she's learned how to control those a little bit more and to make them happen when she wants to, as opposed to just magically happening. Exactly. That's exactly my experience. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Like the, the magic and of the kiln and the fire, like it's all magic until you understand how it works and then it's science. Love it. So um, when did you register your domain? When did you get Sue McLeod Ceramics and, and start committing this plan of building an online course yourself? Um, uh, I think it was around 2014. That I, because I started, my website started out just showing pictures of my pottery, because um, that was the direction I was taking. So um, I actually built my first website, um, like right when I graduated. Um, and then, but I, I ended up, I had a different name, and then I decided to just use my name because it seemed simpler. Um, 
but yeah, it was uh, when I, so I started out just with pictures of my pottery on my website. And then uh, when I took that first course, I was like, hmm, maybe I should start a blog uh, or, or do something like this. Like I really wanted to share the information that I was learning. Um, but it took a few years before I actually got that ball rolling and really kind of had a plan and uh, a strategy for what I was going to do. What has worked for you uh, on the site in terms of attracting visitors? Which which activities have worked best for you? Um, well, I just started blogging recently, a couple of months ago. So I even I created my first course uh, last January, February, uh, with the Just Ship It Challenge in Fizzle, actually. Um, so. But so it was basically my social media that was where I was telling people about my course and uh, sending them to my website. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So for the first course launch, at least, um, the the customers were all driven from your own social media. You were posting, I assume, on Instagram mostly? Yeah. Instagram and Facebook. Um, kind of this just sharing from Instagram to Facebook. Cool. And um, yeah. have you have you been working on Instagram for quite a while? Yeah, um, yeah, a few years, maybe since um, you know twenty fourteen. Awesome. Probably. And I, I should mention for people listening to this, if you want to check Sue out on um, Instagram, you can find her. She is Sue McLeod Ceramics, and McLeod is spelled M C L E O D. So Sue McLeod Ceramics on Instagram. Um, and you don't have a massive following there. I think a lot of people feel like they probably need, you know, you, you see, you see some artists or, um, other people on there with like hundreds of thousands of followers and yours is, um, more modest and, and more attainable and, you know, a few thousand, uh, followers. And yet tell us a little bit about the results that you had from your two launches this year. Sure. So, um, so I do have an email list. And in January, my email list was about 500 people okay. and about a hundred of those people had taken, um, I also teach live workshops in Victoria. So about a hundred of those people had taken my class um, and the rest had kind of just found me um, organically. Um, and so I'm I did- I'm curious the, if, yeah. if, if, if I can stop you for just a second. Sure. For the people on, that, on the email list at that time, um, who hadn't found you live, the people who had found you online, did you have something you were offering for them to sign up for your email list? Yeah. So in 2018, I, um, I gave a talk at a conference, a pretty big conference in my industry. And so what I did was I, um, packaged my talk up, um, as text and my slides as a PDF. And so I was offering that as my freebie lead magnet. Okay. And yeah. this and this was all about the working with glazes and how to get better results. Yep. Okay. Love it. Mm -hmm. All right. So 500 people on your email list, no blog at the time, a social media following, and you launched an online course. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the results that you got. And I'd also love to hear how you created that course as well, because it's not always easy. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, I used the Just Ship It Challenge um, to create my course, like to kind of get my button gear and um, commit to delivering something because up until then, I didn't have anything for sale online. So um, I was just kind of like I had my job and then um, I just had these dreams of having an online business. Um, so I created, I had this idea for a course and it was something that I was teaching in live workshops. Um, and it was, you know, this, this really specific topic, um, this one useful thing that I was doing in the studio where I was working that was improving the glaze results for everyone in the studio and myself included. So, um, so I just basically took, I've taken a lot of online courses myself. So I just took, you know, what I thought that I was supposed to do um, and just did that. I created an outline and recorded a bunch of videos and made a slideshow and just delivered the course that way. Um, did you yeah. use Teachable or some other application yeah. for that? I used Thinkific. Thinkific, which is yep. uh, based in Vancouver, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So you put your course up on Thinkific. You had, uh, how many minutes of video do you think you had or how many videos did you have? Um, it's six modules, four hours of content. Okay, of cool. Yep. And did you just use your webcam to record those? Yep. Awesome. Nothing fancy. I love Nothing it. Nothing fancy. Yep. Just a little webcam and a microphone and a slideshow on PowerPoint. Cool. Okay. And so then you launched um, first in January of this year. Um, well, that's when I started creating the course and okay. I launched at the end of March. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And uh, how did that first launch go for you? It went really well. Um, <laughs> I had 56 people sign up for my class. Amazing. Yeah. And, and what was that? What was the price point on it? Um, I had two options. So I did like a two tier thing where there was the DIY self study option. And that was $97. And then I did a guided group option that was 197. Okay, great. Uh, and do you remember what the split was between the two in terms of uh, which ones people bought? Um, it was about half and half. Okay, pretty much. Yeah, love it. So yeah. you had about 25 people or so who were um, using your live group coaching sort of package. So for those people, you led them through a series of weeks where you met every week or something. Yeah, exactly. We did a weekly Q&A call for three weeks. Okay. Um, yeah. So I released the course, um, the first three modules, the first week, and then the second the second three modules, the second week. Um, and then we did three weekly Q and a calls and I offered a private Facebook group as well. So how uh, you, and so it sounds like maybe seven or $8,000 of revenue or something. How did that feel? Really good because in Canadian money, it was over five figures. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's true. That's, that's a, that's a very successful first launch. You must've been really happy with that, especially, um, you know, being your first time out. Yeah, it was, it was more than I could have expected. Yeah, it was amazing. And it just like opened my eyes to what's possible. Um, and I just have so many ideas and not enough time really. 
Yeah. yeah, you're at that you're at that stage where you just feel like there's a million things that you could and should be doing. Like there's these opportunities that you need to be taking advantage of. Yeah, and I still have this day job <laughs> that gets in my way. <laughs> but but the day job is also a good proving ground for everything that you're doing, right? It's great. Yeah. So I went down to three days a week a year ago um, so that I could focus on my business a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's great because it keeps me um, in the industry. Um, It gives me some credibility, uh, just like I've been a studio technician for five years. Um, So I just have so much like hands-on experience with Mm -hmm. what I'm teaching. Um, And uh, so I'm really immersed in ceramics. So my whole life is ceramics and um so and then I have the opportunity because we're firing a lot of potters you know a lot of time goes by in between kiln firings because you need to fill your kiln uh before you can fire it whereas like we're firing our kilns every couple days so I can um stick glaze tests in there and get results out every couple days and so I I learn quite a lot um, and my learning curve. You learn a, a lot faster than a lot faster. than other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, and then you you launched the course again this year already as well. What? Um, how did you plan that out? What were you thinking about? And was your email list growing in the meantime? And and tell us about that second launch. Yeah. So my email list. Um, it didn't grow a lot. It, it had grown by about two hundred. So I was up to I think seven hundred people on my email list for the second launch, uh, which was in August, I decided to raise the price a little bit. So um, I offered the original 97 and 197 price split um, for the, uh, the early bird price, and then the price went up. And so what I found was that the day before the price went up was the day that I made the most sales. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I used email marketing uh, so to uh, like create the scarcity and uh, get people excited about it. And it, that's um, something we talk about a lot in terms of sales. You have to give people a reason to buy. Otherwise, they'll look at your sales page and go, "Oh, that's nice," and and kind of move on. But if you kind of um, force their hand in terms of needing to make a decision for some reason or another, uh, scarcity can be a great way to do that. Um, and in your case, it was legitimate scarcity because the price was going up. It wasn't just that the doors were closing or something. Um, how many, do you know about how many emails you sent during that sales process? Uh, way more than I was comfortable with. (laughs) Um, definitely. I was emailing every few days for about two weeks. Um, and then a little more at the end. So I don't know, maybe 12 emails or so. The issue was that I had not been nurturing my email list in between launches. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm fairly certain that if my people had been hearing from me a little more often, I would have had less unsubscribes and um, a little more um, traction with my second launch. Um, but I kind of... Uh, was neglecting them in between. And so um, that's when, so after this last launch is when I started blogging regularly. And then now I'm emailing my list on a weekly basis. With just useful stuff. Um, yeah. You're just sharing all kinds of techniques and, and learnings and things. Yep. Um, how did the second launch go for you? 
It was a few hundred less than the first launch. Okay, but pretty which much. Which was kind of, yeah, a little yeah. discouraging. I wanted it to be more, um, but I realized, I realized why it wasn't more. Um, and I attribute a lot of that to just um, my audience being kind of cold. Cold. cold and also you had already um sold to a good portion of that audience i mean mm -hmm. if 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 you sold say 56 the first time and 50 ish the second time a hundred sales from a 700 person list is an amazing uh conversion rate so you should feel really really good about that and um now that you're blogging that gives you this huge channel to start attracting people um, in other ways. And, and I would imagine that in your space, there probably aren't a lot of articles that are as specific as yours. So people who are out there searching for those things, eventually, once your site is ranking, they'll be finding all of your good stuff. Yep. Seems to be. Awesome. Um, yeah. And this is, and this is a worldwide thing. I, I mean, people are creating ceramics all around the world. So that's, that's amazing. Jen, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah. So what did you do differently between the first and second launch? Like, what did you take away from the first one that you're like, I don't want to repeat that, or I definitely want to add this to the second one? Um, well, what I learned in the first launch, in the first launch, I only emailed my list maybe three or four times. Um, but what I found was every day that I sent out an email, I had tons of sales. And so I created this graph <laughs> that like plotted um, the days that I sent my emails against the number of sales per day. And I was like, hmm, I see a pattern here. <laughs> and so that it kind of gave me the confidence to just email my list. And um, I just had to um, let go of the fear of unsubscribes. <laughs> because so there's those probably a good chance yeah those aren't your people but it's hard right. because you think yeah they don't like you or you know <laughs> I get self-conscious when people unsubscribe but then um, I get way more subscribes versus unsubscribes so yeah and also it's just the nature of of emailing you know a large list people will unsubscribe and when your list gets really big you'll send one email and like a thousand people will unsubscribe and that's just kind of natural, but hopefully you're adding, you know, hundreds every day. Yeah. Um, and, and also just, you know, keep in mind how many things you subscribe to and unsubscribe from, uh, just today, you know, it's like every, every week I'm like, wait, did I subscribe to that? Or did somebody just start saying, I don't know, but I'm going to unsubscribe. And I, you know, every, every week I have a massive cleanup process, so you can't always take it personally. It's just, we all get so much in our inbox sometimes. Well, uh, congrats, Sue. If if you were um, talking to people listening to this, other Fizzle members, um, and you had uh, some advice for them about uh, getting started and and getting yourself out there and and actually creating something for sale, what what could you share with them? Um, I mean, I think that everyone has something that they could teach. I. I'm, I just love learning things. And so I've taken so many online courses and, and it just really shows me that, um, like the, the way the world is going, that's the way education is going. And I think that, um, everyone has something unique to offer and that, um, 
getting into teaching online is like can is an excellent business model because you can just reach so many people coming from someone who's teaching locally it's just like it just takes so much energy to give these local classes and then your audience is very small um so the online space has just opened up so much so i would say you know like if if you're just trying to come up with some way to make a living online, um, think about uh, something that you could teach people, like, and um, maybe just come up with like your own method of doing something and then offer that as a course and see how it goes. I, I also love how specific the thing that you offer is. Um, because a lot of people are afraid to get specific or they jump into something that's fairly broad and, and not realize how much competition there is out there and how much easier it is can to, to sometimes to make a name for yourself when you're doing something that very few other people are doing. So congrats on that, Sue. Thank you. Hey, before we keep going, here's a quick message from Gusto. Small business owners wear a lot of hats, and while some hats are great, others, like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, they're not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes, so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can get direct access to certified HR experts, too. Sounds like a pretty good way to kick off 2020 for your business, right? But here's the thing. Deadlines for the new year, they creep up earlier than you think, and you're going to want to get started now. So don't wait. Let Gusto make it easier on you. As a bonus, listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself over at gusto.com slash fizzle. That's gusto.com slash fizzle. Um, we are going to shift gears and do some Q&A uh, with Fizzle members. So if you'll stick around, Sue, maybe you can help us answer a couple of those. And uh, Jen and I will also be answering questions. For those of you who are listening live, uh, we should have time to get to a uh, question from you as well. If you have something either for Sue or just something in general, feel free to post that in the chat. And uh, Jen, let's go ahead and jump in. What's our first question today? Awesome. So our first question is from a Fizzle member named Zita, and her website is emotablots.com. So I went on and I, I took a look and she designs uh, communication and schedule cards, calendars, and planners for special needs kids and their supporting network. Um, so her son is on the spectrum and she helps other parents uh, with their autistic children. So this is her question. Uh, the product that I want to sell will be quite expensive because... One, I'm just starting out with limited financial resources, so I can't have a lot made. And two, I want to sell high-quality products made with care. But I know that certain members of my target audience often struggle with money, and I'm afraid that the idea would be stolen in no time and turned into a cheap copy. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's still bugging me. So do you have any advice here? Thank you. That's that's great. And do you know, um, Jen, is the product a physical one or a, a digital one? 
Well, it's digital, right? When I went on her site, it's digital and it's free. So I think she's still thinking up the paid product, uh, but it's free downloads right now. Okay. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you know, in no matter what you create, it's likely that there will be competition out there. Um, it's unlikely that anyone is going to steal your idea specifically or make a direct copy of it. But if you're doing something and it is truly uh, useful and novel, then um, you will have competition and they will borrow from you. That's just kind of a fact. I remember this feeling um, pretty specifically. I, I know that a lot of entrepreneurs starting out have this feeling like they need to protect their idea and they almost, some people go so far as, um, to look for patents and trademarks and all kinds of like legal protection against people um, copying their thing. And that was kind of the way I thought about it for quite some time until I lived in San Francisco and was immersed in the startup scene there where there are so many ideas out there and every idea overlaps in some way. And you realize that if you have an idea it's not necessarily unique or novel to the degree that if you go and pitch a venture capitalist, there are these things called non-disclosure agreements that uh, you'll see float around. And sometimes if someone's going to tell someone about their business idea, they will ask them to sign this non-disclosure agreement, which means I won't tell anybody, you know, or I won't steal your idea. Um, if you go to pitch a venture capitalist, they won't even sign an NDA. They'll ignore it because they've, probably heard your idea before multiple times because they get pitched every day by three or four entrepreneurs. So the first thing, your idea probably isn't as novel as you think. The second thing is there will be competition out there. But the third piece is that success in business isn't about the idea. It's about the idea multiplied by the quality of your execution. And this is something that I learned from Derek Sivers, who blogs over at Sivers.org. He has this famous saying, which is that ideas are just a multiplier of execution. So if you can imagine your idea has a, a, a ranking between like zero and 10, zero is the worst idea ever and 10 is the greatest idea ever. Success in business only happens when you turn an idea into reality, and that requires execution, right? Executing on the business idea. Your quality of execution also has a ranking, say between zero, meaning you're not doing anything at all, you're just sitting there thinking about it, and 10 is you have the most amazing, calculated, perfect execution, your ability to reach an audience, to sell a product, all that stuff is off the charts. So... A terrible idea times terrible execution equals zero. A great idea times terrible execution also equals zero. So what the name of the game is to have a great idea, but also to have really solid execution. And that's where you get good results. So um, we can, in the show notes for this episode, I can post a link to that article because Derek does a much, much better job of explaining it than I did. Or you can go to Sivers.org and on his homepage, there's a link to it there. Um, but that's, that's the advice that I would give. It's natural to feel like someone's going to take your idea. It's not likely for quite some time until you're very popular. And um, we all have to struggle with that and, and deal with it. So do either of you have, uh, have had those fears or have had to deal with that in some way? Jen or Sue? 
Well, I definitely have had lots of fears um, (laughs) and I've spent years not executing, right? And like, so I've had great ideas that I haven't acted on and they just sit there. And um, once I started, like I I truly 100% believe clarity comes from action. And it was once I started like doing the work, um, then all of like all of the ideas kind of came together into something that I could sell as a product. And, but what, while I was sitting thinking and dreaming about it, um, nothing was really happening and nothing was really clear to me. Um, and I could just conceptualize all day long about how something might work. Um, but you just have to take the first step and make something and see how it goes. Um, I love it. And we're getting all kinds of feedback from people on the call saying they, they love that approach. And, uh, and, and that people feel the same way. Clarity comes from action. I love that. Um, Jen, did you have anything to add to that one? Well, I was going to say that I relate to the other part of Ziva's point, which is that um, she's worried about people in her audience that don't have a lot of money. Ah, uh, um, yes. And, and putting something out that's of higher cost and then kind of leaving some people behind. And that can bring up some really icky feelings. And I've definitely experienced that. So the first thing that I thought of when I read this was it actually made me think of Marie Forleo. And obviously for someone just starting out, we're at a, a, not at that level because she has such a huge team now, but she offers so much for free and so much paid. I think that's such a cool thing about the online one and Fizzle does too, right? There's such a opportunity in the online space to, give away blogs to have an email list you, you have the opportunity to help people for free so much um, but that should never that should never hold you back from also making good money from what you're doing you can do both yeah and and I should also say that most of the people I know who are the most successful from a monetary standpoint in their businesses end up having products at different price points and that the um, bulk of their success comes from the higher price points, but offering things at a lower price point can fill in those gaps and also give people the opportunity um, to buy something from you, even if they can't necessarily afford your higher end offerings. And that's a great point about offering things for free, Jen. Um, it feels great to do that. And it turns into a great way to generate leads and customers, hopefully, um, who are on the higher end, who can pay for your services. And when you have some people paying those higher rates, then it's sort of subsidizing your ability to offer the things for free as well. Um, that was great. I love the question. Um, who was that from again? And maybe the, the website address? Yes. Yeah, so it was from Zita and her uh, website is emotiblots.com. So E-M-O-T-I-B-L-O-T-S. Emotiblots.com. Great. Very cool. Um, I know you have another question there, Jen, but before that, Mm -hmm. uh, we have one from Vicky who's attending live and had a question for Sue. Uh, She wanted to ask Sue if she does any kind of work on SEO and uh, what tools does she use to determine what her audience is looking for, like SEO tools, customer conversations, and so on. Basically, how do you decide what to write your content about? Yeah, well, I have a Facebook group um, called Understanding Glazes with Sue. And every person that's joined the Facebook group has answered 
a question, what's your biggest struggle with glazes right now? And there are 1,200 people in my group, and each of them has answered this question. So I have a really good idea of what people are struggling with. And I've also been where everybody is. Um, so like from my own experience, I know what I was struggling with in the beginning. Um, and so I'm just chipping away at a really long list of, uh, of struggles. Awesome. And um, do you do anything, once you know the struggle, do you do any sort of research to know what headline you should use or the way that people might be searching for that content? Um, no. Uh, like, I, I haven't really done much research around that. Um, I just look at how people are asking questions, um, and I kind of frame the headline around um, a question that someone might be asking. Perfect. Um, Vicki followed up with uh, that she has a private Facebook group at Vegetarian Zen, which um, Vicki was a guest on the podcast recently, just a few weeks ago. And she says that it provides a wealth of insights for them as well. And I would say for anyone um, who is looking for ways to get ideas, building a community, whether it's through a Facebook group or something else, can be a great way to understand what people are struggling with um, you, of course, can do that with an email list as well. When someone signs up for your email list, you can ask them what they're struggling with and you will get a lot of replies back. But in the Facebook group, not only would you get replies to that, but also people will just be interacting with one another naturally, organically, and you can kind of spy on what they're talking about and come up with ideas. You can, of course, help them right there in Facebook, but also you can borrow those uh, ideas, turn them into content, whether it be social media posts, YouTube videos, blog posts, podcast ideas. And uh, if someone in your group is struggling with it and articulating it in a certain way, it's likely that other people are as well. And that can be a great way to um, stumble upon good search ideas. Uh, with SEO, there are a couple of different approaches. And some people are meticulous about doing research and finding out what people are actually searching for out there. And that can be useful, but it also can lead to a lot of competition, and sometimes it can be difficult to rank. In other cases, um, people go more organically, either using your gut or listening to your audience, creating content that way. And if you create content regularly and put out enough, you will stumble upon things that do really well with search, even though you didn't necessarily um, intend it that way or know that a particular piece of content would do really well. And so that can be a great way to grow an audience over time. And Sue, I, I have a feeling just looking at the articles that you have on your site and with how specific that they are um, within six months or so, if you keep blogging every week, you're going to start seeing some good traffic from the search engines. Uh, great. Okay. Thank you, Vicki, for that comment as well. And um, Jen, we have another question loaded up. Yes. Uh, this one is from Will Gibbons and he, he's in the chat box today. So hi, Will. Hey, Will. Um, I've left an employer in which I was an on-site software training specialist. I got burned out after traveling every other week for three years. My employer charged customers $1,500 a day plus travel expenses. Without having to travel, I'm looking to cater to those who are willing to pay to learn the software, software that I know so well. Also, I'd like to try a more scalable model by selling pre-recorded courses or hosting online classes with 15 to 35 attendees. I've shared this with my ex-employer and they're even interested in reselling any training material I make. 
question, what's the leanest and most efficient way to go about this? And weighing pros and cons of live weekly class held over Skype versus selling courses on a platform like Gumroad. I'd really like to target corporate clients, not students, freelancers, or hobbyists. But corporate clients always seem to prefer in-person training. How can I make this seem like a premium, professional quality product that can take the place of an on-site training? This is a great question. Thank you, Will. Um, and uh, I don't fault you for not wanting to travel every other week for three years. That gets monotonous. I've been there myself in a job like that. And uh, that's a recipe for burnout for sure. Um, but good job keeping a an open um, positive connection to your former employer such that they're interested in maybe reselling whatever you create because that's that's amazing. Um, I would point you to a resource out there because I think it's a good example of a fully fleshed out idea of what you're trying to create. And I would also push back on your assumption that corporate clients only want to pay for in-person training because I think that corporate clients actually pay for a lot of online training. The example I want to share is called uh, Conversion XL, um, and it's at conversionxl.com, I believe. The uh, founder of that, his name is Pep Laja, and um, they have an amazing online program that has tons and tons of courses, and they cater very much to corporate clients. I know that because they sell their courses in such a way that you can buy seats um, anytime you see somebody selling seats, meaning you know you don't just pay for the course, but you pay for how many people are going to be taking the course, it means that you're selling into a company, most likely. And their price points are high. And Will, I think that um, your price points could be high as well, because this is very specialized software. I know that Will is um, an industrial designer, I believe, and I can imagine that the software is very specialized. So you'd be talking about um, being able to charge hundreds, um, maybe high hundreds or um, thousands of dollars, depending on what the package looks like. Now, you asked, what's the leanest way to go about this? I would say the leanest way is a lot like what Sue did early on, which is to provide live sessions initially, because live sessions are really easy to execute. Uh, you just need to get people to pay and show up, and then you deliver the content live over Skype or whatever, and that will give you a couple of benefits. One, you don't have to go through creating the course, wondering if anybody's actually going to buy it. Two, you get to interact live with people that are taking it, which means you're going to learn whether or not your content is useful so that later when you go to create the course, you'll have a much better idea of what people are going to relate to and what's going to be useful to them. And since you've been doing this um, in person, you already know what you're offering. Um, and the thing about like learning how to use software is most of the time we're just looking at a screen anyway. So why do I need to be next to you looking at the screen or looking at it projected when I could just be in the comfort of my own office or cubicle or something? So I think this is a great business idea, especially because your former employer um, might be willing to partner with you on this. So you know maybe offer to do uh, a big commission to them if they would promote your um, first couple of runs of doing a live session. You just want to make sure that you're um, really clear about what the live sessions are offering, what the benefits are, and so on, so that you can actually drive people to those sessions. Um, I'd love to hear from Sue. When you were doing the live sessions, 
what worked for you in terms of pitching those and, and selling them to your, your Facebook groups and, and everywhere else? Um, well, I never actually delivered an online live workshop. Oh, so I was delivering live in person. Live, workshops. live. Got it. Okay. But I recently was um, invited to teach a workshop up in the Northwest Territories of Canada. And um, given my work schedule and vacation time, um, I wasn't able to make it work. And so what we've decided is that I'm going to deliver a workshop live, but um, through Skype or Zoom or something like that. So I'm going to do exactly what um, you just described, where they are going to, each person is going to register because they said that um, they they like online classes, but they kind of want to commit to a time and gather as a group. And so I'm going to deliver a workshop. They're going to all be together watching it at the same time. Then they're going to go off as a group, um, do the assignments that I give them, and then we're going to reconvene and talk about the results. So. Love it. Yeah. Um, I have a, a podcast um, episode coming up on the Fizzle Show, uh, episode number 359, which will be later in December with James Clear, who uh, works over at jamesclear.com. He's the author of Habits Academy. And uh, James has this amazingly huge business and email list with like 500,000 people. Um, James, when he got started selling things to his blog, the first thing that he sold were basically live online one-off sessions that people could come and attend, um, almost like a paid webinar. So you see webinars offered for free all the time. James just advertised to his list, hey, uh, you can come and attend this session. Here's what you're going to get. And it'll be $79 or something like that. Um, and that was to a very uh, generic audience. So again, Will could charge quite a bit more, but I do believe that the pattern is out there um, and uh, the precedent exists to offer a paid live online workshop and then later to turn that into some sort of an online course. Jen, anything else you want to add to that? You hit all the points. I was going to come up Great. With. Okay. Um, thank you, Will, so much. I appreciate it. And um, I think that's it for today, Jen. And mm -hmm. Sue McLeod, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for helping to answer questions. Also, uh, again, if people want to check out Sue's business and blog, you can find her over at Sue McLeod. That's M-C-L-E-O-D ceramics.com. Uh, thanks, everyone else for uh, the questions that you offered today. Thank you, Jen Rayow, for helping us and uh, for being here as always. And uh, you guys can find links to everything that we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode number 354. And uh, I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show. <laughs>